heard the call to build your small business? Make it happen with a .NET domain name, the place for dreamers for 30 years and counting. Visit keepdreamingup.net for tips and advice. Whether you're just getting started or looking to grow, that's keepdreamingup.net. You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cause we live. We live. We live. This is Locked On Hornets, your daily podcast on the Charlotte Hornets and the NBA. Subscribe and rate us on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at Locked On Hornets. I'm Doug Branson, joined by the man, the myth, the legend, uh, the person that I am honored to call co-host, David Walker. Wow. I like that on a Tuesday morning. Very touching, Doug. Well, I've had my coffee, you see, because Uh, I I stayed up late last night to watch a certain... NBA award show and another no, certain big no. three tournament. You watched them both? Did you watch them both? I didn't watch them in their, in their entirety. There was Bachelorette to get through. Yeah, yeah. So, what'd you think? I mean, I uh, let me tell you what I did. I started uh, to watch a little bit of the big three, and then uh, I just could not could not stick with it. Uh, and then went over for a little bit of the award show. And kind of the same story, although that was a, a bit more entertaining. And we had we had a Kimball Walker sighting, so that was interesting. Yeah, congrats to Kimball Walker on winning the Sportsmanship Award, the first Hornets player to do so. David, it's a small award, an award that's not very well known. Uh, but no it's small fu- awards. No but, small awards. Yeah, but it's fun to see him getting national recognition, raising yep. that profile. He thanked his mother, who you can see very often at Hornets games. And he was very, you know, just his normal Kimball Walker self, humble, yep. uh, but cool, very well dressed. I'm Kimball Walker, and I approve this message. Very cool. What'd you, yeah? What'd you think of the? What'd you think of the threads? The glasses were well, a nice touch. Well, he had on full pants, which I thought uh, was a smart move. <laughs> just addressing the defense. That was the way like to go. Draymond. Yes, no short pants. <laughs> I love stuff like that. See, that's what I love about the NBA award show. It allows. It's a celebration of the season. What I didn't love is the fact that it came so far after the season that's was the already over. And that seems to be the overriding opinion that it's kind of a cool idea. It was sort of well executed. There were some people missing. No LeBron James. I don't believe uh, Kevin Durant was there either. Not sure about who was there and who wasn't. But it didn't seem like the big, some of the bigger stars, Steph, LeBron, KD, got a real high profile in this one and maybe that's okay because you know it was there to celebrate Kawhi, Russ and uh and James Harden but at it's the really same time the, you want to see your big it, stars. Yeah, it's really uh, clearly I mean the awards are regular season awards it but then they happen so far after the regular season has ended because we all know the playoffs last so long. Yeah, it's it's just weird. They may have to they, they got to tweak that. Uh, what's is there any reasoning why they wouldn't be able to change that date? So they do it like right after right before the playoffs start. I guess people are still doing stuff, so you don't want to have those players aren't going to show up, you know, for an award show like a night before they have to play their first round playoff game, I guess. Yeah, we'll see. I, and I thought the broadcast was a little uneven at times, but it was, you know, everybody kind of had a good time. You you can't take it too seriously, I think. And and no. Draymond Green coming on with the Capri pants. I think was a, a good start in that direction. Just kind of have fun with it. And the Sager Strong Award was amazing. Yeah, there were good moments for sure. Uh, there's, there's good stuff Ernie to go back Johnson just ripping everyone's heart out. Uh, mm-hmm. So it was. there were some great moments. There were some not-so-great moments. I just think they need to rethink the timing 
and and get everyone there. Those are the two keys. And then going to the big three tournament. So if you don't know what the big three is, uh, it's a you know a lot of sort of older stars, some guys past yes. their prime a little bit, hooping yes. it up three on three style. It's half court. I, I tuned into the broadcast, so it was played two nights ago, but then broadcast on tape delay last night, and you could see why right. they wanted a chance to edit in some bench reactions. They, th- but it was honestly. I thought I thought it was weird enough to put it on tape delay, but the broadcast almost made me vomit. And I'm not being figurative. There were so really? many jump cuts, double boxes, weird fast forwards. I had no idea what was going on. It was like a like a really bad action movie. And and I get the half court explanation mm-hmm. why you would want to mm-hmm. do it because it's sort of like a three on three tournament. Three. Yeah, you don't want to yeah. do full court three on three. That's a little weird. But I don't know if it's necessarily set up for television well they have that new kind of it's not new at camera angle but it's not one you're used to seeing full-time like kind of the behind i guess they switched it around though i mean honestly i'd be interested to see what it would be like in person you'll have to let us know i mean i don't know dude it's just like like fast breaks are fun you know like there's a reason we like the nba is because it's basketball being played at its highest level by guys at the you know, at the apex of their abilities. And this is less that. than less than that. Yeah. It was, it was fun to see stack Jack heaving it up again. I started to have fun with that. And he was talking, he was talking some mad trash to Rashad McCants and that made That's it even better. Good. Can I just have slam That's ball back? Good. That's all I want. I just, just, so here's the question. This is a real thing. Here's a quick question for you. This is a real thing. This is going to be in the Olympics. Uh, the next time around three on three, but are, are you more interested to see, you know, the stories of, guys like you know that are doctors and lawyers or teachers and whatever in, in their day job and then make it to the olympics on a three-on-three team and and you know hear those stories that we hear through the olympics and just not because i don't think NBA, i'm pretty sure nba guys aren't going to do it in the olympics i don't see any of these retired guys you know making that full transition either uh would that be more interesting to you in the Olympic format, you know, with guys that have the sto- backstories. And yeah. Yada, yada, yada. Yeah. I mean, that would be fun. It's just like, what would the level of basketball be? I think is the, is the ultimate I mean, question. Because if the, ba- be that that's the thing, different. if the basketball is bad, then you're tuning out. It's just it's plain be and that simple. Much different. Hey, I want to give yeah. a shout out to the, uh, the Gittimer.com studios that I am broadcasting in. That's where we do our live shows. We don't give them enough love. If you are, uh, if you're a salesperson, if you're looking to get into sales, Visit Gittimer.com. They have a host of training services, a lot of free resources for salespeople, and uh, they also have the Gittimer Learning Academy. So check them out, Gittimer.com. They are, uh, we're, we're proud to be sponsored by them. We're proud to be hosted by them. Uh, so give them a shout. And, you know, it's a local, it's a national business, but they're local here in Charlotte. So uh, you're also supporting local business. Yesterday, Dwight Howard was introduced to the media in Charlotte. Howard is joining his third team in as many years, a stark change for a player that spent eight seasons dominating in Orlando. The obvious question is, what has Dwight taken away from the difficult situations he found himself in Houston and Atlanta? What are the lessons learned? One, using my voice. I think uh, over the years, a lot of things have been said, and I've always just not said anything back. You know, just allowed, you know, things that weren't true to uh, just keep stirring up. And and that gave a lot of people opinions about who I was as a person and a player. I should be the one speaking up for myself instead of 
allowing other people to do that. David, what do you think about those mm-hmm. comments? The lesson learned from his previous experiences is to to speak up. <laughs> yeah, interesting answer there. You know, it's funny watching that uh, press conference. Dwight has had a, an eventful career. You know, he's been in all sorts of situations, been the guy, you know, been the foil, uh, been the villain. So, I mean, I think he's trying to keep progressing, right? Like, this is a brand new opportunity. This is a new situation for him. Hopefully one that he's more comfortable in with Clifford there. But to me, you know, he's he's trying to say – he said all the right – it was a press conference, and I think he said all the right things, you know. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I think, uh, you know, he has definitely been quiet during seasons. He's he's not been afraid to let his feelings be known. I mean, after the season in Atlanta, when they were eliminated in seven games, he said, it was very difficult. I want to play. I want to be out on the floor. I want to make a difference. I want to make an impact. And I can't do that on the bench. So he's not been during afraid. During the season. Yeah. But during not, the season he he was he was pretty good. Yeah. From all accounts. Yeah. So but it sounds like he's just a little upset that he has not been able to control the narrative. And that will be <sighs> that's gonna be an interesting mesh with a team that's been relatively quiet on that front. You don't even when things got bad last season, you didn't hear Kemba Walker or Nick Batum. It was honestly it was a little bit of criticism by me that I didn't think the people were speaking up enough. And now you have Dwight coming in. So it's going to be interesting to keep an eye on that. There was a lot of talk at the press conference about misconceptions about Dwight Howard. It started with Coach Clifford, who says he knows Dwight Howard, and a lot of people have him wrong. I think everybody views him as, you know, that he's been dominant as an athlete, uh, which is part of it for, if you look at it, for most great players, okay? But the thing that has set him apart is his intelligence and uh, he is as bright uh, with coverages, uh, knowing personnel, uh, having technique as any player I've ever been around. Clifford once again stressing Dwight Howard's intelligence over his athleticism. Clifford also said last week that he saw a different Dwight Howard in the locker room in Orlando than maybe some others have reported. Is is this wishful thinking on Steve Clifford's part is he trying to sort of set this set this up to be to be the way it is I mean obviously they don't want distractions right but um, I'm sure he did see that side of him in Orlando but you know you can't argue with some of the things that have happened in Dwight's career right some of the some of the headbutting and some of the situations that haven't gone great and some of the things that that he's done too so that's just part of part of who he is Um, I think Clifford definitely values that um, that intelligence factor. It's, it's like the second time he's brought that up. So um, for sure, he's trying to start, start off on the right foot. I mean, you know, they, they want to start things the right way. And um, it'll be interesting to see. You just, Doug, do you imagine this season going through the 82 games without any, you know, hiccups, out, without any bumps in the road? No. Yeah, exactly. So I think you should be prepared for that. And it will be, I think, a very interesting test of this organization that hasn't had to really deal with those things. I mean, think back to the Lance Stevenson, the very short, very brief Lance Stevenson era. Even with those struggles, and they benched Lance, and they, they start, it started by not playing him in the fourth quarter, and then it ended up resulting in, in a complete benching. And you really didn't have, again, much public drama. Who knows what went on behind the scenes? Not a ton reported about that, sort of conflicting yeah. reports about what happened behind the scenes with Lance Stevenson. But 
but it sounds like Dwight is not going to be able to, to not going to be afraid to speak his mind. Now the question is, and Clifford sort of talked about this a little bit, and and Dwight did as well that Clifford and and Howard have have always had honest and open communication, mm-hmm. and so you wonder if they can keep it in house, if they can deal with situations, you know, within within the locker room and not let it become a distraction. That will be, I think, key. And if because I think it's clear that that Clifford and Howard both want to differentiate what's happened in Charlotte from what happened in Atlanta, from what happened in Houston, yeah. and what happened in Los Angeles. Uh, but Dwight Howard certainly believes there are misconceptions around his his actual basketball game. I asked him about his comments after the Hawks' first round exit, where he seemed particularly miffed at an insinuation that the problems in Atlanta were related to his, again, perceived unwillingness to run the pick and roll. And here's what he had to say about that. If you go back to uh, my time in Orlando, the first option was obviously the post. But, you know, later on in the game, we were running a lot of pick and rolls, a lot of pick and rolls that ended up in the post-ups. So it wasn't like I'm not – I didn't want to set screens. I think people just – use that excuse to have something negative to say. Okay, David. So I have some statistics here. I went back. I looked at some synergy numbers over the years. So stop me. I'm going to go on a little bit of a a run here. So stop me if you have any questions, Hmm. All right. any concerns, let me know. Stretch it out. Stretch it out. All right, here we go. I think he makes an interesting point, first of all, that if he sets a good screen, and he rolls to the basket, and he seals off his man, and he gets it from the ball handler, and he scores from the post, that's most likely scored as a post-up, despite the fact that it was initiated out of the pick-and-roll. And there are other situations that could start with a pick-and-roll and end up with, with him maybe registering it as a cut. You know, So, so th- these things are, are a little bit fluid, and especially in Atlanta, where the ball movement was constant. And and you had two, three actions on one play. So it's it's a little tough to judge. So I will give him I will give him that. But here are the synergy stats. So first of all, I went to look back at his uh finals year, the 0809 season in Orlando. 57.8% of his possessions were post-ups for 0.875 points per possession. That was 64th percentile. So good, a little above average. And 46.7% field goal percentage from those post-ups. And he ran the pick and roll 4.5% versus 57.8%. So that's a pretty big discrepancy. All right, let's go to let's go to 2010-2011. That's Dwight Howard's highest scoring output of his career. 22.4 points per game that season. 58.7% of those were post-ups for a .928 points per possession, the best of his career. That was good for 71st percentile and 50% from the field that year on the post-up plays and 6.8% in the pick and roll. So you see pick and roll increase, but you also see post-up increase. You saw his overall possessions go up, his overall usage go up. And more importantly, he was just really, really good in the post-up that season. And, and it resulted in his highest output of his career. All right, fast forward all the way. And by the way, the year in Los Angeles after his back surgery, I don't have the exact numbers, but everything went down. His his post-up numbers uh, were, were about the same, a little above 50%, but uh, those, those numbers went down. So y- there was definitely 
an effect from that back surgery. But let's go to 15-16 in Houston, his last season in Houston. His post-ups went down to 30.5% for .822 points per possession. That's 45th percentile, 47% from the field, pick and roll at 9.3%. And then finally, last season, 28% in the post-up. So that's down again and down from 50%. That's more than 20 percentage points in terms of frequency. And then .838, 38th percentile, 47.9% from the field, and his pick and roll went to 10%. So what can we glean? That was a lot of numbers that I just threw out at you, okay? <laughs> yeah. So go back and listen if you need to, but I'm going to give you a brief, what can we glean from these numbers? First of all, his pick and roll to post-up ratio in Orlando was very high, and I'm not sure play oddities that I mentioned before are enough to account for the discrepancy. I think it's pretty clear Dwight likes to post up and for maybe a variety of reasons, didn't get a lot of pick and roll opportunities early. It started to tick up, but it hasn't, you've seen his post-ups fall dramatically, but his pick and roll game has not really risen relative to that. When his post game was at its peak, he had one of his best scoring seasons. So it's easy to see why maybe Dwight Howard would like the post-up. But since his back surgery, his post-up game has become less efficient and he's done less of them. But it hasn't necessarily translated in significantly more pick-and-roll opportunities. Instead, he's worked, so it's like, where did that offense go? Well, he's worked the offensive rebounds more, put-backs. And I think in Atlanta, when you look at those numbers, they found him creative ways to get opportunities, lob opportunities. They worked him in transition a ton. And that could be why... You know, there was a, he looked stiff in the playoffs. He looked like he couldn't move around as well. And you wonder like how much they ran him in transition affected that. Um, But those are two things, lobs, transition offense that aren't necessarily staples in Charlotte. So you wonder if those same opportunities will be there. And if not, do the numbers go back to 50% post-ups for Dwight Howard or do they work him in the pick and roll more? I think that's a big question. What's the problem with Howard posting up? Well, first, the post-up is one of his more inefficient offensive possessions and has been for most of his career. That's why people are frustrated, because they see the numbers when he is the role man, and it's so good. I mean, it's like 1.2, 1.3 points per possession. It's his best offense. Interestingly, David, over the past few years, the players that are above one point uh, per possession are often guards are small forwards with turnaround games. This past year, Gallinari, DeRozan, Jimmy Butler, Devin Booker all had over 100 possessions from the post and were up above one point per possession. So it's only become a really efficient shot for players that have a good turnaround jump shot. And the second thing is posting up takes a toll on the body. So it's good that his post up opportunities have naturally gone down as he's gotten older and again, if Dwight weren't so damn efficient as a as a role man, I don't think anyone would be crowing for him to work it more. So there you go. That's my breakdown. Thanks for bearing. <laughs> thanks. Was, oh, I'm going to take a water break. You go ahead. <laughs> take it from here, David. I'm going to. No, that was excellent. I think it's going to be adjustment for everybody, right? I mean, that's going to be part of the of the shift. I mean, this is a a big personality, of course, off the court and on the court, really. But this is a a big presence coming to the court that is going to shake things up. So. You know, it wouldn't surprise me to see 
um, you know, a slower start maybe uh, for the Hornets just in terms of like ease of the offense and flow of the game and stuff like that. I'm not even talking about results at, at this time, but I, I just think it's going to be a, obviously a uh, an adjustment for for guys with the ball, right? Too. I mean, the two main creators in Kemba and Nick going to have to get used to having Dwight out there and what he likes to do um, and get him some opportunities. But I think the biggest thing that I have, uh, or I mean, you know, the question that remains out there, but I think could be a big bonus for Dwight and Cody really is, is this fact that it's not going to be like a timeshare necessarily, but I think they can use those two guys, you know, in tandem to uh-huh. keep the wear and tear down, yeah. to keep the minutes for both of them down. Uh, because, you know, Cody obviously set out a lot last year. Dwight's obviously getting up in age and, and you want to limit his minutes when you can. And I think that's going to be the trick for Clifford and those guys, you know, to kind of say, Hey, uh, if we, if we all work together and, and we space these minutes out, it's going to be more effective for us in the long run. And I listen, I think Dwight is going to want to start. I think Dwight is going to want to close games. <clears throat> you heard it in that quote that I read earlier from his exit interview in Atlanta. Like he wants to be a factor. He feels like and he and he said it in the press conference. He feels healthier so I think he's going to even want to be even more of a factor. Uh, so, but I think what's interesting is what you said: the the two different kind of post players that they have, because they have two very different kind of role games. One likes to get into the post and draw attention, and uh, you know, get into his post up game, pass out to shooters occasionally, and then Cody Zeller likes to really get find some space and and really attack the rim. Uh, with his role game and and catch it far, you know, catch it pretty quickly, and then uh, attack the basket from there as opposed to sealing off his yeah. man. So, yeah. very interesting. It, it it will be it will be good to watch. Here's here's one thing we do know about Dwight Howard. He never passes up a chance for a zinger, and he found his chance yesterday when someone asked about playing with Dwayne Bacon. With Monk and Dwayne Bacon joining this team, what Dwayne Wade. <laughs> Boom. I had to I had to do that. I had to do it. I had to do it. Got him. So he was obviously referencing Rich Cho in the introductory press conference for Malik Monk and Dwayne Bacon. You've seen it on Sports Center, you've seen it on Fox calling Dwayne Bacon Dwayne Wade. Yep. Yep. He got him. That's a sick burn. The Dwight Howard era. It's going to be interesting. All right, David. Now, was one of those was one of those of those roaring laughs to come from you, Doug? I chuckled. That was a great, yeah, that was a good I mean, one. listen. That was a good one. <laughs> he think listen, he thinks on his feet. I know, uh, I know. Yeah. All right, David, before we dig too deep into free agency, we should take stock of the depth chart and see where things stand and ask one big question for each of these positions that we will be answering all summer or into training camp. Don't necessarily know the answers right now, but this is what we're going to be all examining together as we progress. First up, point guard. We've got uh, Kimball Walker, number one. Number two, I don't know. Point guard number two, we don't really know yet, but we do have Briante Weber currently behind Kimball Walker. And the big question, obviously, David, who will back up Kimball Walker? Yep, and it's not looking like Ramon Sessions is going to be back at all. I mean, Rick Pinnell wrote a, a pretty clear piece that uh, all the signs are pointing to Ramon leaving either via trade or just outright release, I guess. So that is something we had seen coming on the horizon for quite some time, and that's the biggest question. Are, you know, Who are they going to have in there to back up Kimba? Can Malik Monk give you any minutes? I, I think at this point they have to be counting on no, but they'll see how that goes 
in summer league. But yeah, that's, I mean, that might be the biggest question for this team because it was probably one of, if not the biggest needs going into the off season and the, the drop off after Kemba went out last year was significant. But as you said the other day, Doug, you know, Clifford told those guys, Hey, Kemba's going to play a lot of minutes. So, you know, he's our best player. He, he's going to get a bulk of those minutes. Um, but they can't have the drop off. Uh, you know, it can, just can't be off a ledge like it was last year. So that's the biggest question. Now, I think that's very important to understand. By the end of the season, Kimball Walker is going to be playing 37 to 40 minutes. So your backup point mm-hmm. guard is only going to be getting, we saw that with uh, Brian Roberts and Briante Weber, only going to be getting 10 minutes. And when you draft a guy like Malik Monk to come off the bench and be that scoring threat, I think it even more uh, minimizes the role that your backup point guard may or may not play. And so, yeah. and listen, if Kimball Walker gets injured and misses a majority of the season, the the Hornets are ju- oh, just aren't geez. built to withstand a major injury. That's just, it's just the fact. Still, they don't yeah. have a, a superstar. And so th- there's no one that can really put the team on their back and say, okay, I can go get you, you know, 25 to 30 tonight and, you know, for sure and carry this team over the course of months. It's, it just doesn't work like that. This is a machine. And if one cog... Uh, uh, gets knocked out, the whole machine goes down. So you just want to find a, and I think Steve Clifford put it best when he talked about what kind of point guard he would like to see in Charlotte. Uh, especially with the way Jeremy Lamb emerged to me in the last 26 games, the way I believe Frank played in the last 26 games would be, I would like somebody who's more of an organizer and a distributor. So he points to Lamb and Kaminsky and how they ended the season, sort of the post all-star break both of them uh, their numbers went up and so you want to see in that backup point guard position not someone that's going to take possessions away from those guys who are playing better but one that could find those players distribute to them and and make them better and organize the offense which is something we saw Briante Weber struggle with so David do you have a couple of names the free agency pool (laughs) is not deep with with realistic options for the Hornets but do you have one or two names maybe I mean, it's not deep at all. I think probably the ideal guy, and a lot of people are looking at, is Sean Livingston. But I think it's just going to be tough, depending on how they shake out their contract situation out there in Golden State. I mean, I think his preference would probably be to stay there. It's a pretty good situation. So, um, I mean, that's a name. You know, honestly, like you said, the the, uh, the names fall off really quick. I think Patty Mills is probably going to be another guy that a lot of people are looking at. I mean, that's the thing. There's very few guys out there uh, that are going to be impact backup point guards. And, um, you know, they're probably going to be highly sought after. But I think Patty Mills, Sean Livingston, um, you know, on the cheap, cheap with high risk, maybe high reward. I've said Ty Lawson just because he only got paid a million dollars last year. And we don't know exactly the amount the Hornets are going to have to throw at a uh, potential free agent point guard. So I think it's a lot like that, though. I mean, once you get past the first couple, like it doesn't take long to get down to Ramon Sessions, <laughs> if that tells you anything, right? Like he's on the list, too, and it doesn't take very long to get down to where he is. So they're going to have their work cut out for him. All right. Yeah, I like Shelvin Mack. I think that's a name they could look at. And look, all these options are going to have some pretty serious negatives along with their positives. Uh, yeah. That's why I think a lot of people are looking for them to possibly make a trade to facilitate bringing someone in 
that is is not a, a complete disaster in one particular area of their game. Somebody who's sort of more more even keel everywhere. All right, let's move on to shooting guard. We're going to examine this deeper, so we're just sort of kind of going down the line here and, and introducing you to these issues. Shooting guard, we've got Nick Batum at uh, the, the one spot, and then Malik Monk behind him. The big question, will the Hornets have enough defense at the wing, David? Yeah, and that's something we talked about yesterday, how fast can Malik Monk come along if he's counted on to play big minutes in a defensive role, right? Like that was, you know, clearly not his uh, strong suit. Scoring is is what he's great at. So I wonder, you know, we'll see how uh, Jeremy Lamb plays into this whole scenario on the wings as well. Yeah. Um, but that's another reason I think they went out and drafted or looking were looking to draft somebody in the mold of uh, Dwayne Bacon. I mean, you know, 6'6". Six, six, uh, 6'10 wingspan, long defender can can guard multiple guys. That's clearly something they were looking to add, and to me, you know, that's clearly uh, still a a, a uh, you know a, a shortcoming. They need to add a few more guys like that, but it's a start. Yeah, you can add Lamb to this mix as well. And if Nick Batum goes out for a period, it's most likely going to be Lamb if he's still on the team to substitute in for Nick Batum at the two spot. Uh, but Synergy has Nick Batum rated in the 20th percentile on defense. That's not great. He got especially hurt on off-screen and handoff plays, and those are plays that really challenge your intensity and commitment. And I think Nick Batum, after the season, felt challenged, and that's why you've seen him in Charlotte foregoing uh, international play to really work on his game, both, I think, from the defensive end, but also from a a secondary, primary scoring option on a given night. Mm -hmm. So it'll be interesting to see what Nick Batum's development is. Let's move to small forward, where I have MKG, in the first spot, behind him, Jeremy Lamb, Trevion Graham, and uh, new acquisition, Dwayne Bacon. The big question, will either MKG or Jeremy Lamb be moved at some point this season? David, what's your gut feeling on that right now? If I had to guess, I'd say Lamb um, would be the more likely to get moved. Um, but I think it's something they're certainly going to look at. If they can use him in a deal to wrangle one of these free agent, uh, or, or I'm sorry, a trade for a point guard, as you mentioned, that may be their preference. Um, you know, MKG's name is, he's the new Cody Zeller as far as trade talks go, I feel like, because every trade has MKG's name mentioned in there. Uh, I just don't, I don't know. I don't get the feeling they really want to move him. And I think his value is certainly higher here than it would be anywhere else. So, I'd still lean Lamb, but um, you know we'll see. It's difficult. Lamb has that extra year, so I think he's a little tougher to move, and I think he still has to sort of show something to to raise his value somewhat. Uh, MKG is such a system player. He's such a, a Steve Clifford, yeah. such a Hornets player that I think it's difficult to gauge his value for other teams as well. But if Dwight Howard becomes a, a you know a, a real plus defender, and Nick Batum improves his defense, and Malik Monk. Is is a, is a significantly uh, great rookie? Then, then all of a sudden, I think there are some questions about possibly shifting yeah. around roles, that's, and it's a lot of could open yeah, some things a up. Of, a lot of what ifs. Yeah. A lot of what that's ifs. A lot. Of, yeah, that's a lot of what ifs. I mean, it's, everything went that way on the defensive end. But like you said, I think they value what he brings to this team and this system so much. We'll see how what effect Dwight has on that, though. Um, but, uh, but it's, it's the, you know, you know how much they value MKG and how much I'm sure they Absolutely. like him and root for him. So that's, uh, this is a, what if segment. this is a, what sure. if segment, uh, for power, sure. let's move on to power forward, Marvin Williams and Frank Kaminsky behind him. The big question, 
Can both Marvin and Kaminsky turn their success in the back half of the season into consistent production next season? Got some more stats for you here, David. Uh, Marvin, pre-All-Star break versus post-All-Star break. Effective field goal percentage pre-All-Star was 54.1, or excuse me, uh, was 49.6. That went to 54.1 post-All-Star break, and then rebounds went from 5.6 pre-All-Star break to 8.5. So he was significantly better after the All-Star break in those two key areas. And then Frank Kaminsky, uh, his three-point percentage pre-All-Star break was 30.8. And after the All-Star break, and he got some time at center there, was 36.7%. And then when Kaminsky was a starter, his net rating was 8.5. When he was on the bench, it was negative 1.8. And I think a lot of that had to do with just the overall bench performance as well, David. But I'm cer- certainly this sort of points to this idea that Clifford pushed, which was this team has to get better at the beginning of the year and internally mm-hmm. improve the players that are here now. Right. So. Yeah, an internal improvement is something that they've talked about since the last season ended, so it's going to be big. All right, finally, at center, Dwight Howard, and behind him, right? we're putting Dwight Howard as number one right now. That's unconfirmed. Obviously, this is just our estimation of what's going to happen. Dwight Howard at number one, Cody Zeller behind him, and then Johnny O'Brien. Interesting to watch him at Summer League, I think. But the big question, of course, who will start at center on Twitter? Panthers Mafia says we might be talking about this too much, David, this who will start at center. Oh, really? Yeah, it's a pretty I mean, big. It's a pretty big question, though. I mean, you got Cody. It fun, started to me, it fundamentally year. changes what they do offensively. Right. I do think it'll be Dwight, though, just for the record. But I think Clifford hit on that a little bit yesterday, right? Like situationally, you're still going to see some uh, matchup determined uh, lineups as well. Of course, it gives them again. It gives them that put back game. It's going to. I'm interested, and I want to ask Clifford about this. So that it has. This hasn't been a team that's normally focused on offensive rebounds. They like getting defensive rebounds and they like getting back into transition defense. But, you know, when you put Dwight Howard in the lineup, I think that changes things because he is such a powerful offensive rebounder and really good at finishing once he does get those offensive rebounds. So that will be interesting. I think balancing that as well. Uh, Finally, a little summer league update. The Hornets announced their full summer league roster joining the names. We mentioned yesterday are Tyrell Corbin, Chris Joseph, Devin Williams, Gabe York and Greensboro swarm alum Rashid Suleiman. Final question here, uh, David, other than the current rostered players that we mentioned yesterday, why aren't there more interesting names on this summer league roster? That's why, man. They got all the superstars coming in from the draft. That's it, dude. You answer your own question. And you got Karnowski, right? So, I mean, he's got that big old beard. Uh, yeah, no, no. They, they want to see what their main guys yeah. can do. So that's that's what I'm sticking with. Totally agree. All right, that's all the time. By the way, real quick, uh, Hornets, no comment on that jersey photo uh-huh. leak. Uh-huh. And, and listen, I've learned this from politics this this year. No comment is not a denial. That's all <laughs> I'm saying. No comment is not a denial. Thanks for listening to Locked On Hornets here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Follow us on Twitter at Locked On Hornets. Subscribe to us on iTunes and tell a friend. That's really important. Help us out. Tell a friend. While you're there, give us a five-star review. It helps hardcore Hornets fans like yourself find this podcast. Shoot us your Hornets questions and thoughts to buzzbuzz at LockedOnHornets.com. We're back again tomorrow with more. For David, I'm Doug. Go Hornets. Go America. Let's swarm Charlotte.